End of intermission. Part two. Again, this idea that the movement from Paul to Yoko has two elements to it. One that Paul was his emotional best friend, and he transferred that all that to Yoko, and that they were creative collaborators. And you know, like um, I'm looking at this quote from Gould. And by the way, we're talking about Jonathan Gould's book, Can't Buy Me Love. The axis of the group's genius, of course, was the collaboration between John Lennon and Paul McCartney. For more than 10 years, the musical friendship between these two partners had remained the predominant relationship in both of their lives. But that had changed abruptly in the spring of 1968, when Lennon returned to London from the Maharishi's ashram in Rishikesh, blew up his marriage and threw himself into a romantic, in creative partnership with Yoko Ono, the fame-obsessed Japanese performance artist who had been pursuing him for more than a year. Ono would later be demonized by the press and the public as the cause of the Beatles' downfall. But she was more like the solvent that Lennon used to dissolve the bonds of solidarity in common purpose that had distinguished popular music's most exalted band of brothers. From the moment Lennon and Ono moved in together in June 1968, Ono displaced McCartney as Lennon's collaborator, muse, and sounding board, that she knew virtually nothing about singing, songwriting, or music making, bothered Lennon not at all. If anything, Ono's brand of dilettantism came as a great tonic to a renowned musical artist whose insecurities about the pretensions of art making had recently led him to insist to the Beatles authorized biographer Hunter Davies that Beethoven is a con, just like we are now. Like what I do like here is that he calls out that she's a fame-obsessed Japanese performance artist who had been pursuing him for more than a year. Right, good. Check. So that was good. Point for you. But then, yeah, but then he says, but she was more like a solvent that Lennon used to dissolve the bonds of solidarity in a common purpose, that it is distinguished popular music's most exalted band of brothers. So why? Why would he want to do right. this? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just like there's an assumption that John was just looking for an excuse to blow up the Beatles. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It's like, okay, so he used Yoko as a way to dissolve his relationship with Paul abruptly, as you point out, abruptly. So so he's acknowledging, yes, they were the most important people in each other's lives until all of a sudden, for no reason whatsoever, in the spring, John suddenly dives headfirst into this relationship with Yoko, who he is using to dissolve his relationship with Paul. So he's basically acknowledging, you know, the correct version of events as we see them, as we laid out in, in our breakup series. He just doesn't ask why. Or he certainly doesn't answer the question why. Also, if John is trying to dissolve the Paul creative partnership and is so over Paul, then why hook up with Yoko and immediately move in with Paul? You know, that doesn't really reflect the fact that he's trying to escape Paul or dissolve the bonds, you know? Or why bring her into the studio? Like, why wouldn't they just go and, like, do their art elsewhere? He's he's willing to. He wants to escape Paul, but only one room at a time. <laughs> he's like, uh, I don't want to sleep in the same room with you anymore, Paul. I'm dissolving our bonds. <laughs> I'm going to sleep in the next room. How about that? In your house. 
<laughs> Seriously, like, oh yeah, he's trying to dissolve the bonds. And you know what? To do that, I'm gonna show you and move right in with you. It's, ri it's ridiculous. I think uh, we discussed this before, but all these actions seem to be designed to su suggest that she could be a replacement for Paul, as in John's using her, but not necessarily to dissolve the bonds. Yeah, but as a you could be replaced if you do not react and do the things I would like you to do. Well, I'm sure there's some justification for why he had to move into Paul's house. Although I absolutely cannot possibly think of one. <laughs> there's zero right. reasons. There was no other place to live in London except in Paul's house. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about some of these ideas from these authors. It's like, okay, yeah, dissolve the bonds. I don't know. You know? Yeah, it's yeah just like, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Upset Maybe the not. bonds, perhaps. Provoke yes. the bonds. Pro provoke the bonds, yes. <laughs> Test Absolutely. the bonds, sure. Yeah. Yes. But dissolve them, not so. Mm, no, I don't think I think you're a little off off track there. Maybe you should maybe you should think about that a little bit harder before you write a book. <laughs> <laughs> right. Put a little put, just put a little more thinking power on that one. <laughs> <laughs> As you would say, a little brain power. <laughs> you got to use your brain power. <laughs> Maybe charge that battery up a little bit. <laughs> and and nor do I agree that he successfully dissolved the bonds because, you know, they collaborated quite heavily on whether or not he wants to admit it. There was lots of interplay and work together on on the White Album, and then Let It Be is they they work a ton together. You know, I agree. So, so but th this is my issue: is that he makes the he makes the point that Paul is displaced. Ono displaced McCartney as Lennon's collaborator, muse, and sounding board the minute they moved to in together in June of 1968. Like that's what bothers me. It's like no, she didn't. Well, she definitely didn't uh, displace him as muse because Paul remained a muse to John for the rest of his life. Right, and also key collaborator. I mean, musically, that remains Paul. It's just like they, they're like, yep, she was his collaborator from then on. It was just the two of them. And it's like, that's so, un that's so unfair to Lennon McCartney. Like, he gives her a platform for her art and supports it. And right. she, she may inspire him with ideas. In John Lennon's entire career, it's one album that they collaborate on, sometime in New York City. Which... John yeah, found yeah. very difficult, right? He hated it. <laughs> yes, he hated it. <laughs> so right. much that he said he almost pulled the plug in the middle of the album <laughs> and trashed the whole project. Right. So that, I feel like, is when they tried to replicate Lennon-McCartney. So there's a one album, and then there's maybe a couple singles, like the, um, the Happy Christmas single, and maybe... Is Give Peace a Chance a John Lennon-Yoko Ono, or is that just a John Lennon? Uh, by the Plastic Ono Band. By the Plastic Ono Band. Okay, yeah. so let's say let's let's say give piece of chances of John and Yoko. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's like two singles and sometime in New York City. I mean, and then there's the, there's all their side project albums, all their non musical albums like yeah. the Wedding Album and Two Virgins and Life with the Lions and stuff. So again, you know, not really musical collaborators. You know, like, I think that this quote by Gould is interesting because it kind of contains a lot of the assumptions that drive me crazy that, A, that John was done, like that Ono totally replaced 
Paul mm-hmm. as collaborator and muse and sounding board the minute she was on the in the picture without a second thought without a second thought like just a seamless transfer yes and they were all emotion memory like like a brain transplant right exactly like she fully fulfilled all of John's creative needs mm-hmm. that Paul had played that Paul had done before and it mm-hmm. so like undermines how much Paul brought to the relationship and how much John depended on him still up until the point that they brought broke up. You know what I mean? Like Paul was still producing and making all of John's songs good in the white album and like who, you know, who works on don't let me down with John a billion times who makes, you know, come together really interesting who threads in all of his songs into the medley you know, and who helps him with the, some of the lyrics in those, you know, and even George Martin in what is it? 69. He says that, you know, basically that they may not seem like partners, but they're still, they're still Lennon and McCartney. Like don't be fooled. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so that's the first fallacy in that statement, but it's very typical that, you know, that they assume that Yo- that Paul stopped to matter as a creative partner to John and that Yoko took on that role. And that's just bullshit. He was doing side projects. He, you know, he did two versions yeah. with her. That They did it all in one night. Yeah, it's massively insulting. And it, it makes it sound like, well, Paul was just a placeholder. Like, he was just replaceable. Which is ridiculous. I mean, that's the thing is that... Yes. We... I guess you're right that in some ways... We agree with his point that he used Yoko to mm-hmm. ma- for some reason. He doesn't get underneath why all of a sudden John would turn around. I think he's got that um, old school jean jacket narrative where John was done in early 68 and, you know, the Beatles were silliness. And but, he, were- but he does something that's fairly revolutionary, I think, which is that he does acknowledge that John used Yoko to move on from Paul rather you know he doesn't set it up the way that some people do which is that Yoko just waltzed in changed John's world and Paul was an afterthought but the way the thing is he doesn't yeah he doesn't really follow it through and he doesn't he doesn't say that's crazy why is he doing that like what what could possibly be motivating John to destroy the closest relationship in his life all of a sudden with some rando like tries to destroy for uh, for apparently no reason that we're not going to dig into we're not going to try to figure out (laughs) or even mention we're not even going to even go there for one right exactly like we're going to sort of acknowledge it in passing and go huh that's weird well we don't have time to get into that (laughs) right i'm only going to write another 500 pages on yoko now but no no not going to get into the root of this issue but he does actually set set the stakes you know he says dissolve the bonds of solidarity and common purpose that had distinguished popular music's most exalted band of brothers. Like, you know, he does say that this was a big deal that John was doing that. I mean, I'm always, I've read Gould's book. And so, you know, unfortunately, he doesn't take it into interesting territory about why John does this. But, and then to my other point here, he says that um, from the moment Lennon and Ono moved in together in June 1968, and he does make the point that she was stalking him, you know, the famous obsessed Japanese yeah. performance artist who's, who had been pursuing him for more than a year. So the minute they meet and get together, because they, they get together at the end of 
May, and then at mm-hmm. the beginning of June 1968, Ono displaced McCartney as Lennon's collaborator, Muse, and sounding board. So immediately they get together and she's, she replaces him <laughs> for no known reason. But he does kind of flag that. He says that she knew not, virtually nothing about singing, songwriting, or music making bothered Lennon not at all. If anything, Ono's brand of dilettantism came as a great tonic to a renowned musical artist whose insecurities about the pretensions of art making had recently led him to insist to the Beatles authorized biographer Hunter Davies that Beethoven is a con, just like we are now. That part annoys me because was there anybody on the planet who just took John Lennon more seriously than John Lennon? Like that, that is a joke. Yoko Ono, I guess. Like, I think she, I think he probably liked her dilettantism because John didn't like to spend too much time on anything you know he was impatient so yeah yeah like it actually that's a good point like it might have been freeing to not have to get things perfect right because he's got a partner that can play anything and play anything really well and we know that john is insecure about that you know the shame is that is that we know that Paul loves to fuck around and experiment too. So it, it's, it's not like they couldn't have been doing two versions together. Well, it makes me wonder why they didn't. Yeah. You know, like John was kind of doing it with Pete the night that Yogo came over. Um, and he, and he did some tapes with uh, Ringo too. I mean, we have like the bootlegs and stuff of him just fucking around in the studio and Ringo you know, singing like lounge singer type style stuff. and Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like Yoko was the one that stimulated John to do these kinds of things. He was playing, he was playing around anyways. And it, it, like he was playing out around with a system that was set up by Paul, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, would Paul like to do it at, in his home? Well, they were saying that even, I didn't realize this, but in this book, um, um, Solid State, he talks about how much, Paul worked on like how many tape loops there are in Abbey Road, which I didn't realize. Oh, wow. Nice. And that Paul did a lot of them. That's really cool. Yeah. So he's still doing stuff. Yeah. I think there's a quote in there that he loves to go home and work on his tape loops and work on stuff like that. And so why aren't they doing this together? Well, and, and you know, we, we know what it sounds like when they do it together because we have the Beatles Christmas records. I mean, they're, awesome and amazing yeah they're fun Those they're two, fun e- even even uh, for example like you know my name look up mm-hmm. my number is like a good which they did in may of 69 april may 69 um you know i mean it's not avant-garde but it's playful it just makes me wonder why why he couldn't do it with paul like it was and i, I wonder if it's because paul was not around not coming to his place like, so John want basically John wants to play, I think, mm-hmm. um, and do this stuff. And Paul just wasn't around or why he wasn't going to Cavendish is another question. Well, I mean, Jane came back. Yeah. And maybe whenever it was, but that yeah. maybe, you know, that, that could be an issue too, is that just John did Paul wasn't being enough of a collaborator at that time. Not that, not that the whole onus is on him, but just that there was a big space where John's kind of bored and lonely. It's just like, it's just an interesting question that Paul 
says he loves going home on the weekends and doing tape loops and doing, you know, musical exercises like this. And Paul is John's creative partner. And yet he says he's hugely inspired by doing this with Yoko. I think we all know right now that Paul was the one that originally embraced the avant-garde scene. And, you know, was really into it. Seems to have really gone deeply into it for a couple of years. And and was the Beatle. Was the Beatle upon which Yoko Ono first made <laughs> right, her <exactly>. move. <laughs> right. And that's because he was in that. Maybe that's why she knew of him is because he was in that scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by all accounts, I think he tried to involve John in this scene. But John, you know, has said that for whatever reason, he felt a little uncomfortable. He, w- he wasn't living close. He could have gone in. But anyways, or maybe he didn't have the in- interest. I suspect that he felt a little left out by Paul's new group of friends, by Paul's new artistic involvement. I mean, if that's your creative collaborator and they're involved and very excited by a new scene, I would be a little bit concerned. Um, And so it's interesting to note that John chooses as a creative partner and lover or, you know, romantic partner, somebody who is an avant-gardist. So it's kind of like, it is a bit of a fuck you. Like, you thought you were the arty beetle. You thought you were going to go in this scene and, and this was going to be your thing. Well, no fucking way. So I think it was a way for him to sort of like outdo Paul. But also, I think that the avant-garde scene maybe took on a greater importance, even if he wouldn't admit it, that it kind of had an, a halo from the fact that Paul yeah. had been engaged and interested in it. Like, I wonder if Paul had never had anything to do with that scene, how much time and interest John would have ever given that scene. I don't necessarily mean that John wouldn't have been inventive and creative because I actually think that one the John's genius is partly founded in the fact that he's a real original, like total original. Yeah, yeah. John is very original and very creative. And so I'm not suggesting that he wouldn't have done work that wasn't groundbreaking. I just think that he may not have focused it on the avant-garde and considered the, the avant-garde important if Paul hadn't first embraced it and sort of put it on his radar. So I don't mean to upset people in that way. I mean, I think a lot of people that love John would be like, I really wish he had not focused on the avant-garde. Yeah, yeah, good point. But one more point about this this um, comment is that he says that she knew virtually nothing about singing, songwriting, or music make- making. So that's something that I think needs to be flagged. Is that it's always like um, you know uh, you know Yoko and Paul are equivalent because John used them both as his collaborators. But I hate that comparison because. Let's give Yoko props for being a performance artist, but it's just like John and Paul wrote together, you know, eyeball to eyeball. They wrote so many songs together. Paul was John's best producer and translator of what John wanted into musical sound, that he was the inspiration competition. Like these guys played such an important role. 
And so Gould is flagging the fact that Yoko is a dilettante in music. She maybe had, she had some, a little bit of training, but that was not her profession or art form. And so for him to all of a sudden be like, I'm going to replace you with this is not based on a creative criteria. If John had abandoned Paul for Mick Jagger. Yes, exactly. The, or but, or even Bob Dylan. If, if John broke up with Paul and was like, my uh, Dylan's my new partner now. Yes. Then it would be like, okay. Fair enough. He wants something different, but I get it. I mean, that, but, that's but, fair enough. Yes, but but Bob Dylan would be a lateral move in terms of what they offer. Right. Their skill sets. Yes, in terms of that they both have similar skill sets. Yes. They both are. Yes, they both are songwriters that that John would be able to write songs with. That's what bothers me a little bit about this false equivalency between John, uh, you know, Paul and Yoko as being John's two partners. She's just a very very different kind of a a partner to him. Definitely. Okay, here's an excerpt from Ray Connolly who's written multiple books about John. Um, he says with the exception of a few terrific songs in their first years together, and a couple of good ones at the end, John was less creative during his marriage to Yoko than he had been at any time in his adult life. In fact, far from encouraging his creativity, their union seems to have stifled it. In truth, Yoko began rewriting John's history almost from the moment they got together. I'm jumping to another part of the paragraph. Almost immediately, as she, as she came between John and the other Beatles, it was as though John's former life and achievements were being forgotten or downplayed. But I just think it's interesting because, I mean, that's Ray's opinion, you know, so you can take it or leave it. Uh, this is always my issue with it is like, let's delve into what they did as creative partnership partners, because it's kind of like the halo that's thrown over their whole marriage. And, and again, not to take away from the actual events that they do, it's just that they're very different kinds of partners and I don't think that they're equivalent or commensurate, you know, and, and I think that, that that's my, you know, if you're going to suggest that the collaboration from John and Yoko is equivalent to Lennon McCartney, like, I don't, I don't even want to compare them. One was much about, you know, performance art and right. causes. Right. And the other was a, yeah. a really true musical collaboration. It's, it's comparing apples and oranges. Well, and here's the other thing. If, if, John had gotten together with Yoko, and then after the Beatles, he never made any more music. You know, he never he never went on and did um, like Plastic on a Band and Imagine, which are his main celebrated works. Um, and he only did like bat like black bags and performance art and rape films and yeah you know whatever the, the things they did together yeah the things they did together like if that was his career from then on then you could say yes that was his you know one was his Paul era and the other was his Yoko era yes and Yoko it was then his creative collaborator and that'd be fine but they don't say that they're like. Well, all of John's solo albums after that should also be credited to Yoko. <laughs> like, that's not, um, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, you know, now she's, you know, suggesting that she had a lot more to do with um, Imagine the album than we know, which we well, don't well, know. Well, well, why not? Why wouldn't she claim that? I mean, if she's gotten people to, 
people are writing in actual Beatle biographies of how much of an influence and a collaborator she was with John, like, why not push it? Right. Well, why not push it and be like, hey, behind the scenes, I co-wrote that shit. You can't prove that <laughs> I didn't. Right, right, right. But I think, like, you know, she will say that, you know, he got his idea from my book and things that I wrote in my book. And again, to me, that's more of an interplay and inspiration between artists versus collaboration. And, and maybe these are just semantics, but oh I just my think God. I, I just think that's that, his wife. Why is she fighting for credit? On, on uh, that's just that's just strange. Well, because and I think that the reason why is actually to your point that if she's given credit for his albums, his famous albums, that really elevates the John and Yoko partnership, you know? Well, and it, and she's trying to get credit. I mean, you know, it's creeping into Beatles history. It's creeping into Lennon-McCartney. Right. Well, I told you how, you know, in, in some bios, like a, a recent bio I read of the, the Beatles, uh, it was Gould's that he sort of attributes, and a lot of them do this, because to Yoko as a sort of a kiss off to her in-laws, that being the Beatles. But it's like the story that John tells us that she was playing Moonlight Sonata and he asked her to play it backwards. And then he wrote because, and first of all, playing it backwards does not sound like the song, but it's basically like her playing a song inspired John to write another song. And yeah. all of a sudden that becomes Yoko's song. And it's not like, yeah. Unless she co sat there and co-wrote it or co-wrote the lyrics or something, she's not his co-writer. But I mean, maybe she did, and we just don't know that. But I don't. In that's not what he said. That's not what he said. And that's they never sort of portray their relationship that way either. It's it's kind of like they right. play they off don't. each other. They don't. You know? But but that's how it's taken. I think that your point is amazing. That if we were able to say. The Beatles music is the the body of work from Lennon McCartney. And we actually were able to look at the body of work of Lennon Ono, like the Bedins, the Baggins, the Rate films, and sometime in New York City. If we were to put that on the one side and just say, that's their partnership, it was different. And yeah. we've got Lennon McCartney and that was different. That's fine. I'm I'm happy to have those two and just say they're I, both, I'm happy to say that too. They're yeah. both successful partnerships. It's that it becomes very obscured that like all of a sudden Yoko's sort of given credit for all of his songs from sixty-eight onwards. Right, right. And my issue with that is that it it undermines Paul's contribution, Paul's huge contributions. I, I agree. I, I object to that too, because Lennon McCartney were, were still a thing until late 1969, until Abbey Road was finished. Yep. They were still, Paul was still helping out with John's come together, making it swampy, making it sound different, still putting together the songs within the long medley, you know, putting the tapestry of their two songs together, making them all link you know, there's a lot of collaboration. And they wrote those Sun King together. Yes. So like they, they are still songwriting until the end. Yeah. It got a bit faster, Ringo. <laughs> okay, George. Okay. okay. 
So John and Yoko are, are married now, and they're best friends, and they're crazy about each other, or whatever. But the thing that we wanted to point out is that it's one thing to just be newlyweds and be happy about it. It's another thing to actively be promoting your relationship and talking about your relationship and mythologizing your relationship. What was driving this? Yeah. Because that seemed to be half the fun for them, is talking about their love. The thing is that, like, if it is just to sell an image so that you have a product to push, then, like, I, I can kind of understand it from that angle. Because the thing is that John and Yoko don't, like, they don't write songs together. They have performed, I guess, a couple times. But literally, like, the performing is, like, John doing his Beatle thing and her going, ah, Right, right, like, right, right. So this not really a duet. The John and Yoko collaboration creative partnership is, you know, an accepted truism that they are this magical, you know, art couple. creative art couple. Yeah. And, yeah, they had, they had all of their happenings and events and they were radical together so there was sort of like I guess there was some conceptual art events that they did together there's an assumption that they were musical collaborators and nobody bothers to dig into that and and say well what did they really do together they didn't well in every single book that I read they say that John had a high period during the white album because of because he was re-inspired by Yoko but they never actually clarify that actually they were all written in India pre-Yoko. Well, and how about the fact that he didn't have an artistic slump in 1967? So what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, right, 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 was right, he right. not inspired? He was still writing amazing songs, like all of the, like some of the best work that he ever did in his whole career. Stop fucking pretending that that's not true. It's insulting. I know. I know. I'm tired of reading this shit in every single book. Well, I find so much of what is said is insulting because I think 67 was John's pinnacle year uh, in terms of songwriting. If you sort of include Strawberry Fields Forever in that 67 period. Right. And, you know, because he emotionally doesn't like whatever happened at the end of 67, yeah. and he wants to portray <laughs> that he he became better once Yoko came in, he denies all that stuff and, and authors go with him. The main thing is that she was his new girlfriend. Yeah, that she made him feel good. I mean, he says specifically that, you know, that she saw his genius and that he respected her for her own art. And therefore, she was the answer to his issues in life, that he decided that she was the answer. She saw me and she said I was a genius. And so you can see the answer is somebody who sees him and admires him. I also really object to the idea that John and Yoko's love was fundamentally better and more powerful and more special than everybody else's. I mean, I think that's ridiculous. 
I mean, if they thought that, that's one thing. I mean, you can make that argument. You'd be like, these people were just so narcissistic or just so into each other or just so... Yeah, self-centered. Self-centered or whatever, you know, however you want to put it. Like, maybe they think that. That's fine. But, like, to hear authors co-sign that is not appropriate and I don't like it. Well, no. I mean, that's the thing is that what is the evidence for that versus, you know, you've got Paul and Linda who stay together for life. Yep. By all accounts. By all accounts from people around them. They remark on the fact that they're soulmates and they're remarkable about the, the closeness that they share. And certainly they spent, you know, that they, they were together all the time from the time they got married. Um, whether or not you think that's good or not is a different issue, but right. certainly they were very devoted to each other. John and Yoko told us they had an epic love and they kind of, you know, mythologized it. And so people attribute special powers to their love. Whereas again, it's like, I feel like Paul and Linda, and especially Paul, always just walks the walk. What, like, what, what's the evidence that, that John and Yoko's love was anything more special than, than Paul and Linda's, which it's always compared to? Right. I mean, you know, here's, here's one of the things. One of the benefits of the John and Yoko epic love story is it sort of is the defense an explanation for why John had to break up the Beatles. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you don't believe in the, this sort of fairy tale of the, this, you know, love that just obliterated everything in his mind and left him apparently just a vacuous shell, <laughs> unable to do anything else. You know, if you, if you believe in that, then it kind of is like, oh, okay, I understand why you had to destroy all the relationships in your life and blow up your job. Wow, sucks for the rest of us. Clearly our loves are just not that special. Yeah. Because unless you blow up your life and job and career for the other person. And get really, really mad and vicious and bitter of against and, your partner for no apparent reason. And take a lot of heroin that you really are not exp experiencing true love. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about them that I that I always keep coming back to is that you don't have to explain what a couple is to people. <laughs> Why would you have to explain it? Everybody knows what a fucking couple is. <laughs> a man and a woman who fall in love. But that's just a normal fucking heterosexual couple. And it's not so weird that people are like, "Why is John Lennon with a woman?" They're just like, "No, what? Why is he with that freak show? I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but th this is the thing is that they've always attributed it to being racism. You know, that it was like, that's what made it weird. That, well, you know, why? The world knows what a Japanese lady and a white guy looks like. That is not what this is about. She doesn't brush her hair. She's 10 years older than him. <laughs> She's not nice. Nobody <laughs> likes her. Where the <laughs> fuck did she come from? Why is she bleh? Why is she bleeding all the time, you know? Like what the fuck? And why did why are you like destroying your band for this weird woman? Right. What is happening right here? This is well, not that's, that's There's more like going on. There's something else going on. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about when you say why is she bleeding all the time? <laughs> Bleeding, bleat, 
like a, like oh. a goat. <laughs> you know, one day I was watching video of them and I was just like, this is just fucking weird. There's like, she's like a 38 year old woman who's just sitting right in front of John in the middle of his workplace. The fact that she just has to sit with him like she's his minder or something like that. Yes, yeah, like he's like, like he's on parole. Exactly. That they are chained and she needs to be sitting looking at him and minding him at all times. It's very odd. I mean, she does do something interesting. That's the thing is that Yoko has something. And she has like the ability to not be embarrassed by anything. <laughs> Which is which is something. No, it is something. Um, I think that's a big turn you know, on to John, actually. Right. Like she has it is. Unlike, you know, Paul who might who wants to turn things into, you know, something beautiful and palatable that people like, Yoko just doesn't give a shit as long as she's getting that's, attention. That's exactly it. I think he I think that really turns him on. He harped on it so much after he got together with Yoko, he's just like, Paul was safe. And I wasn't. I know, I know, exactly. I I was just thinking of that, like when they went to Toronto and he just sings a bunch of 50 songs. (laughs) And and then then they talk about how Paul wasn't willing to be progressive, artistically progressive like John. Like, oh, doing doing heroin and uh, singing 50 songs. Right, okay. Again, if you want to give Yoko credit, you know, it's like Yoko's the one up there, like bleeding like a goat. For for people who (laughs) do not want to hear it. Who no, and that's no the thing. one wants to it, hear it. So give her that credit for being balls out. It's true. In doing the one thing that was really truly weird <laughs> and eccentric, yeah, and odd that again nobody liked. I mean, they weren't like <laughs> they weren't cheering. Not for one Yoko's person bleeding. there bought a ticket to see Yoko. Not one person. <laughs> no, they did. She reflected the kind of things that he wanted to be. Sort of an mm. artsy outsider doing, you know, important art that people, you know, couldn't understand. I don't think he thought I want to be just like her, but I think he definitely thought, like, I want to steal some of her cred, some of her weirdo yeah, cred. Yeah. I think he's like, how do I? Wait a second. Paul, wait, Paul's fucking Mozart, Annie's fucking Stockhausen. What does that make me? Do you remember where there, there was one interview actually where John went off and he was like, wait, Paul's the musical genius. George is a fucking deep one. What does that leave me? What am I? I'm the fucking loudmouth of the group. Okay, I found the quote. It's from Ray Connolly. He's recounting an anecdote about John. And he says, John Lennon I recorded was a very funny man who liked to paint himself ironically as the indignant butt of his own stories. Did you see that Time magazine is saying that George is a philosopher, he asked me one day. And there's an article in the Times that I've actually thought about sending anonymously, of course, to Sood's Corner, saying how Paul is this great musician. One a philosopher, another a great musician. Where does that leave me? The nutter, I hear myself suggest. Yes, I'm the nutter. Fuck them all. I think that 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 kind of thing is really important to say that this is why we think it was critical for John to carve out his own niche and his own space and his own his own way to be admired and to be a leader, you know? Yes. Yes. So I think if if Paul is also stealing his thunder on the 
I mean, it's not John's, it's not John's thunder. It's Paul's thunder. I mean, he is, a, you know, he's not stealing shit from John. He, that's just Paul. That's, you know, that's his deal. But if like, if he's, if he's got the experimental mantle or label, you know, as well, John's like, well, what the fuck? No, no, no. Right. I'm going to get the experimental one. I, I'm I supposed the to be the rebel. Yeah, yeah. I'm the intellectual rebel artsy one. I'm taking that back. Yeah, you're the musical genius. Fine, you can have that one. Right. Cause, I cause, went cause to art, I went to art school. You're from right. fucking speak. I, unfortunately for Paul, because Paul is also an artist. And you know what I mean? Like John just would not uh, let him have yeah. this label. But that that's but you know, in terms of like carving out a space in in people's minds, you know, John wanted to take this back and say, "You're right. I'm the artsy beetle." So one of the things that we've discussed is that Yoko may have been a better mirror for John at this time in that, you know, John really only compares himself to the people that he sees are his equals. And we know that John went through a period of feeling very insecure and very depressed. And it could have been that he was measuring himself against certain criteria that Paul had, you know, you know, Paul has good relationships with his family Paul gets along with everyone. Paul music comes so easily to Paul. He can play everything really well. Women love Paul. You know, yeah. like he's he's if, he's inspired by the, you know, the gods in his sleep. Right. He doesn't have writer's blocks. You know, and this is not to say that John doesn't have all of these same talents and the same genius. It's just that he this is how John may see it as that oh, you know, I don't necessarily measure up to these things. Totally undervaluing his own value, you know, what, what he brings to the table. He may think, well, I don't have a great relationship with my family. Whereas Yoko is somebody who is equally, has some of the same issues as John. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. she's struggling with some of her family ties. And so they can commiserate on that. And she also gives him a bit of that, like she satisfies a bit of his martyr complex too. Well, that's another thing that I was going to say is the fact that they are getting a lot of pushback from society would definitely push them closer together. Like, have you mm-hmm. ever been with somebody where you're doing something and then you get a bunch of pushback? I mean, you feel much more bonded to that person because they're the only person that shares with you this feeling. I think I honestly just feel like he all of a sudden, he had been so lonely. You know, he says you're blues, that he's so lonely he could die. I feel like if he felt like Paul was abandoning him or not necessarily available to him, he felt lonely because his other twin, you know, the his other twin that had always been the Lennon and McCartney, like the other side of him wasn't around. He was afraid maybe of losing him. And Yoko gave him that comfort again, that he had somebody he was like who would be there for him all the time. It was constantly reflecting back to him that he's amazing and who was who made him feel good. You know, looking comparing to Paul maybe made him feel bad sometimes. To clarify, when we talk about John feeling abandoned by Paul, I think people might wonder why we think John would feel that he was being abandoned by Paul, you know, at the time of the marriages. When we know now that Paul was not thinking of leaving the Beatles and, you know, did not want the Beatles to end. But we think that John may have felt like he was being abandoned 
at least emotionally, based on some of the things that he said in the 70s. You know, we played a clip in our first episode where John talks about the fact that he used Yoko so that he felt safe no matter what happened with the Beatles, that he had a place to land. And he makes the point that, you know, during the White Album, Paul had started to make music by himself and he didn't know why Paul didn't leave and didn't know whether or not he was thinking about leaving or, uh, you know, and he muses that maybe it was because Paul couldn't for some reason. But this suggests that this may have been going through his mind. He is recognizing that Paul can do music on his own and likes to do music on his own. And that may have been concerning to him. Secondarily, uh, you know, there's an interview that John does in 1971, the St. Regis interview, where John talks about it being a long road to get Paul to commit fully to him, choosing him over family. Right. This was a brief period at the beginning of 1961 where Paul had a day job for about six weeks. And apparently it traumatized John because 10 years later, he described how he needed Paul to quit the side job to prove to John that he was committed, specifically more committed to John than to his father. So we think that when Paul gets married and commits to Linda and Heather and they're about to have a child, that this may have been a signal to John that Paul was going to be less committed to him personally. You know, and that would have been a signal to John that the Lennon-McCartney relationship and partnership was going to change and that he had been or was going to be deprioritized, which probably amounted to abandonment in John's mind. I mean, you know, for John not to be number one to Paul probably felt like an abandonment of their partnership. Right. And it's significant that John brings up that story in 1971 when he's trying to explain the breakup. Even though it seems like a non sequitur, he tells that story for a reason. And so we do not think it's a coincidence that John has the busiest year of his life, publicity-wise, in the period between Paul's wedding and Paul quitting the Beatles, right? From like March 1969 to April 1970. <laughs> All right, so eating. Well, what do you like to eat? <laughs> well, I like some cornflakes. Uh... So to put a positive spin on the ballad of John and Yoko, because we've got a, done a lot of discussion of it, we do think there is a very positive aspect to it. And also, when it comes down to it, we think that John and Yoko, but, but John is really just trying to find a way to feel good and carve out his own space where he feels special and confident. You know, uh, we think, as we mentioned, that this is a really hard time for all of them. And John's just trying to find a way to get through things. And this is his way of dealing with the situation, you know, recreating a new brand, a new idea, a new dream that he can buy into. And they did do a lot of good. They did inspire a bunch of people with the peace movement and with the art they were doing. So there is a lot of good there, too. Yoko, how do you like being around the Beatles? I'm interested in John's work and my work, you know, or the work that we do together, you know. But not so much Beatles because, well, that's something else, you know. The conversation tends to be all about Beatles all the time, you know. 
I'm such an involved person, so that I I don't really really realize that usually. But suddenly, sometimes I realize, oh, you know, it's just old Beatle talk. I mean, a lot of authors have made that point that she managed to convince him that you know it was kind of like teeny bopper stuff that he was doing with the Beatles, not serious art. Yeah, like they're not going to be more successful, but it's okay because they're better. <laughs> right, and more important. Yeah. And, yeah. Why this impassioned move to convince John that his work with the Beatles is garbage? Right. Which is something that we know she did, whether it was on purpose, whether that was just her coming in with her own snobby point of view about what art is important versus not important and convinced him that other art forms were more important than the work that he was doing with the Beatles or he or, or she managed to devalue in his eyes some of the work that he was doing with the, the Beatles which was obviously extremely unfortunate since you know they're the most still the most influential band in the world and they have brought so many millions of people happiness she came in with this point of view that what she was doing was much more important, I think, um, and and convinced John of that, unfortunately. And some people might see the things that they did mm. as a higher purpose. Like if you were super inspired by the whole peace movement, but you know, and, and so I don't really want to judge. I guess they did other work right, right, that was right. meaningful, but I think that... Yeah, like that's a different conversation. That's a different conversation, but I just think it's un fortunate that she refocused him and you know maybe shared the perspective that this other art form might be more meaningful i honestly think it would be so healing for the fandom for everybody if we could just highlight put the light on lennon and mccartney and celebrate them if yoko felt totally secure in the john and yoko story and her own artistry I think she would let Lennon-McCartney shine as its own amazing right. story. Right. Why would you not? We tried to think it through from Yoko's perspective. I mean, you know, we just made the point that she probably loves the fact that her brand is being championed by John, that they're they're connecting their, their names and their force, and, and all of a sudden she's being recognized. But I think that there's also another motivation maybe from Yoko. And in our very first episode, we played a clip of Yoko talking about the fact that she felt very threatened by Paul. You know, she said it herself that she was glad that Paul wasn't a woman because there was something very strong between John and Paul. So she picked up immediately. There was some deep yeah. bond between them and some, some level of attraction that made her nervous. You know, obviously, yeah. the person that she's closer to is John. And I, so I think that primarily she's picking up on John's feelings for Paul. And then we've got other accounts from people around them, such as Connolly, saying that she was always very threatened. He, he talks about the fact that he, he feels like he was allowed to be there because he was not a threat in the way that Paul was, in that John could up and go and write a song with him. So I think that Yoko is threatened by Paul both on an emotional level Right. As well as on a creative level, that Paul has the ability to take John away from her on both of these counts. 
Yeah. I mean, Paul is the Jolene in this scenario. (laughs) You know why she doesn't want him around. And so if we think of the fact that Yoko's acting from a position of being defensive and threatened and afraid of Paul, then she must have been very happy when John started promoting the John and Yoko story. You know, that must have reassured her that she had a future with him, that she was important to him. And some of his more blatant celebrations of them may have been in some ways compensation for the fact that he had this other deeper relationship and he may have been trying to reassure her, you know, and he might, she, he might've been getting positive feedback from her. Now I think that John has his own reasons for doing this, but just getting under Yoko's or getting into Yoko's point of view, potentially in this situation, you know, mitigating the threat of Paul is something that played into the John and Yoko story for the rest of their lives, because Paul remained a threat to her for the rest of her life on both levels. Paul remains a threat to her to this day. Oh, that's a great point that she continues to be threatened by him and to push the John and Yoko story over the Lennon and McCartney story as both a greater romance and a greater creative partnership. I mean, let me ask you a question. And I never, this is territory I never, ever, ever get into. But considering how many times John had to answer for how do you sleep, all the times he had to defend that for the rest of his life, right? For the, for the mm-hmm. nine years after he recorded that album. So many times he had to explain himself. Do you really think that he wants that song on his anthology? No, no, no. When I'm dead, please put that on my greatest hits. So everybody hears that particular song. Make sure that that one is amongst the fucking like 10 songs that people remember me for. Make sure How Do You Sleep is up there. Do you, like, do you think that that's the one that he wants tweeted out? When the Imagine reissue comes, like there aren't other songs on that album. I'm just asking. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, you know, that was a song that John tried to walk back from the minute he issued it. You know, if the anthology was a representation of what John wanted his legacy to be, by all evidence, he wanted that song to be buried. That means to me that that placement there is part of the legacy that Yoko wants remembered. That's right. The other thing is that that is the one song that she actually has evidence that she participated in writing. Yes, that other people will testify to. And yet she's not fighting for that to be Lennon Nono. That's right. That's right. It's a Lennon Nono Klein, actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But that one, they're like, no, no, that's okay. That can just be Lennon. Yeah. But but really, it would be so much better if it was actually listed Lennon Ono Klein, because then you would know yeah. wh- where that was coming from. Yeah. And John said it many times. I think that she was happy to promote this idea that they were a more epic, creative partnership. And we, we see all kinds of people jumping onto the bandwagon of this. You know, I heard a podcast where they were talking about how she was the greatest creative inspiration of his life. 
Never mind the fact that he had already created the majority of his legacy by the time they met. Yeah. I mean, if they want to buy into this, then whatever. But I think so. I understand from Yoko's perspective why she'd be like, cool, yeah, you know, let's build this story. This is great. I mean, you know, she thinks she's a great artist, so she's happy to think that they are going to be an even greater artistic couple. But from John's perspective, I think there's other things that are driving him. You know, if they were just this incredible, loving, creative partnership that we don't think they'd have the need to be talking about it and mythologizing it. Like there's something beyond it simply existing that's driving them. And, and in some ways what it does do, like when you think of, okay, well, what does it do? You know, how is this benefiting them? Is that it, it manages to make his partnership with Paul less significant. And it manages to erase Paul's importance in John's life. It's almost as if that's what it's designed to do. Because John said so many times that he was married to Paul and then he was married to Yoko, um, because he said this so many times, when the comparison is made, I, I think the traditional way is, is to portray it as if John is saying he was in love with Paul and then he was in love with Yoko. He was inspired by Paul and then he got tired of him and then he was inspired by Yoko. Like he just moved naturally through Paul when he was done with him he just dumped him and then he moved on to Yoko whereas I think rather than it just being a natural thing that happened I think it was more that he was sort of deliberately trying to move on from Paul like he's trying to transfer all of his emotions and all of his involvement and all of his inspiration and all that sort of stuff from Paul to Yoko and it's like a process. It's like really taking a long time. Right, which is a very, very different story. I mean, you know, we we believe that it wasn't a seamless transition <laughs> from Paul to Yoko <laughs> based on the fact that throughout the 70s, John continues to obsess about his relationship with Paul. And, you know, traditionally, if you are in love with somebody and you fall in love with somebody else, you kind of get over that first person and are focused on the second person. And that's not the behavior that we see from John. And this premise, partly, is that this was a deliberate attempt on John's part to deal and cope with the trauma of what's going on mm -hmm. uh, with him. And, and it's in some ways a reaction to whatever happened between them. Mm -hmm. John is recreating a new partnership, you know, that maybe for some reason in his mind, he needs a new dream. If the old dream of Lennon and McCartney is crumbling in his mind, that maybe he needs to embrace a new idea, a new identity, a new dream to be able to deal with the situation. In other words, there's a lot of underlying emotion there mm -hmm. that is driving the mythologizing of John and Yoko that goes beyond just it existing and being such an amazing thing. Absolutely, right. And, you know, I, I do think that the feelings um, 
the feelings for Paul, I mean, they're complicated. There's a lot of different things mixed in there. And sometimes they come out negatively and sometimes they come out positively. And, you know, sometimes they're confusing and sometimes they're infuriating. And sometimes they make him feel very weak and vulnerable. And sometimes they make him feel mean and powerful, you know, or, you know, depending Mm -hmm. on whatever the situation is. But um, it's suggesting it's that there's indifference there at any moment is just false. When we talk about this whole subject of, you know, the, the ballad of John and Yoko, we think that it is in some ways a reaction to what's going on internally with John. And, you know, part of it is very calculated, I think, because it gives, it gives John the ability to reinvent, to rebrand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to compete with Paul in a new way. Yeah, and he was successful on all those fronts. <laughs> yeah. So in some ways, John's a genius for having done this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, hats off to John for, and Yoko for doing this. They created a beautiful story that people loved mm-hmm. and bought into. And it's so like they, right. they created their own brand and fairy tale that people love. Right. Still but, making them money today. Right. Making a lot of money. But the thing is, is that we're saying it's creation, it's origins, were not simply just because it was. It was partly calculated and partly, I personally think, a coping mechanism for John. I, I think that in that the books have not recognized this, that this the story has not recognized this. That I think that this was a big period of crisis for John. Mm-hmm. We see him taking drugs and, you know, and then he does all of his bed in and becomes this peace guru and I think that these were very positive things that made John and Yoko feel good. They got a lot yes. of positive attention. Yes. It was very meaningful in the world. And it was a great distraction for John. And it is a great distraction for authors and Beatles fans also. I mean, so much so that it, it obscures the real problems and pain and and, and crazy behavior that 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 John is doing in this year and in the next year. You know, and this was a pretty smart way for him to refocus the attention. And personally, I almost see, it's almost um, it's almost aggressive how he changes oh, yeah. his name, mm-hmm. how he redoes photos that were famous, you know, famous right, photos right. that he did with yeah, Paul. Yeah, yeah. He replaces Yoko in them. You know, he says he's in love for the first time, that... You know, the many ways that it's he true. says, this is the real deal. It's true. And what we're doing is important now. I mean, in some ways, that's such a mean thing to do to your partner that you're still partners with. It's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's such a it's such a way to hurt the other person. And, and to me, I, I think it definitely speaks to some sort of hurt that, that John is responding to. Oh, absolutely. Because why would, if you are indifferent to the person or feel guilty, why would there be a drive to hurt somebody? It makes no sense. Why why would you, if if John and Paul are just best friends, why, why, like you said, why would he be recreating, you know, intimate pictures that he took with Paul and putting Yoko in the same position? Like, (laughs) right. That's right. It's like you're being replaced. That's exactly what it is. And I am going to erase you and replace you in the mind of the public, not just not yes, just in my life. Yes, right. In the mind of the public, right. That there's no reason to do that with your best friend. 
No, because those roles should be complementary. That's right. That's right. And again, he's doing these things while he's still in a partnership with Paul. So, which is a little bit brutal, you know, it's not like this is two years later and he's, so again, it's very hurtful. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think you just see Paul withdrawing and just kind of going, okay. Well, but again, you know, from John's, from John's point of view, it doesn't seem to be hurting Paul. Well, and, and that's, I think that, that that's where, where we flip the story a little bit and just say that John is not doing this to be mean. This is John, like you said, reacting to his own hurt, feeling potentially like he's been abandoned. And so he needs to have something to cling on to and to rebuild. This kind of reactionary measure is stemming from a, a place of fear and hurt. And I don't think that's that's the only thing. I think that it's coupled with joy and inspiration from being with Yoko. I mm -hmm. think, as we've discussed, that both these things can be going on at the same, same time. time. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's a, it's a way for him not to have to deal with the abandonment issue of... Paul and their partnership crumbling and to embrace something that maybe is much better for him to focus on and, you know, and to distract himself. I've never seen anybody ask the question, like, why is John on TV every day in 1969 when the, when his band is falling apart? Why is John away from the office? You know what I mean? Like on television every day in a black bag, you know, eating acorns in the Hilton bed, getting room service, or why is he doing all of that stuff every single day? Manically, yes, manically doing this. And, and you know, and I think that the authorship response would be, well, he was just so inspired. That's 100% their response. That's what yes. literally every author says. It was because he was just so turned on by Yoko. Paul right. who? Like he's not yeah, even a factor. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Beatles? What? Yeah. Yeah. No. And, but but I think you're right to, to to question that though, because why did this become so important? So that it overtook, you know, what his his his, his life's work and craft, which is making music. I would say that uh, to me, it reads as he's fleeing something and distracting himself with something. Right. Well, and again, you know, aside from Gis Piece of Chance, none of it is music related. You know, it's interesting because there seems to be this view that, you know, John was, this was an incredible year for John. And when we actually look at what John was doing, John put out, was in the public eye a ton that year. And talking a lot that year, he and Yoko were always being interviewed. Yet they spent less time on actual work, creative work, than say, you know, Paul was just in the studios. He was producing Mary Hopkins. He was helping with Jackie Lomax. He was helping with Badfinger. He was in the studio, you know, laying down tracks with John, uh, with George and Ringo for Abbey Road. You know, Paul was in there doing a lot of the music. And I mean, I guess you, who is it for me to judge which is more important? But John's fame from that year came much more from his external activities. I think the point is that John was motivated to build the ballad in a way that Paul was not. You know, Paul and Linda are a good comparison in this regard because while they have all the same components, you know, they are a married, creative couple, deeply in love, 
Linda was every bit the artist and independent woman that Yoko was. And they could have been promoting the Paul and Linda show to the same extent, you know, and building their brand. But they didn't. And they didn't seem to be inspired or motivated to build their brand publicly. You know, their union seemed just a lot more private, internal, you know, focused on the relationship and their personal connection and their family rather than it being a public thing, you know, for public display and consumption. And now that's not to say that one is better than the other, but we wanted to flag that the fact that they didn't and they have all the same components suggests that they just have different motivators at this point, you know, and the fact that John and Yoko wanted their union to be public suggests some driving factors. Like we know that Yoko wanted attention and she wanted to be out front and center and wanted her art to get attention. So that's one of the drivers of the ballad of John and Yoko. But again, we also think that John is being driven by his own issues, primarily, you know, that this is exciting to him and, and inspirational, but we think also, and importantly, he is driven by the desire to replace the old partnership and erase the old partnership, both in his mind, and in the mind of the public. And to some extent, not totally, but in some ways, it was successful. And the thing that's frustrating is that like Paul now, like Paul nowadays, like old Paul, sort of comes across sometimes as like obsessed with, you know, with John because he talked, you know, he talks about John all the time and he's constantly talking about how much they loved each other and I feel like the authorship just takes that as like, oh, geez, you know, there's this big one-sided love on Paul's part. And it right. skews how they're viewing the actual shit that's going down. Because the thing is that, like, you know, Paul has had to endure people telling him, oh, this looks like John didn't really like you that much. And Paul's like, what? No, 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 you don't get it. And they're like, no, 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 I think you don't get it, Paul. We get it. We we know. John just just didn't love you. And Paul's like, no, no, he did love me. And they're like, Um, no, 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 he loved Yoko and Stu. You are not part of the story. (laughs) Right. You know, like, why is Paul telling a story about they slept together a million times? No, we don't think he's trying to tell us that they had a sexual relationship. We think he's trying to say, we had an intimacy that you don't know about. Right. So... You know, don't try and tell me that John was closer to these other people. Did he sleep with him a hundred times from when he was 15? Right. Like, I know what our relationship was. You know, I looked him in the eyes for fucking 10 years. While we're writing and we had a connection because we shared our thinking and we created together. And did any of you do that? No. Uh Right. Like you don't even know what the fuck you're even talking about. Right. And that's, that's kind of Paul's anger coming out in early days is you weren't there. I was. And we find this, we found this horrible that people don't listen to Paul when he's telling things. Yes, he does. Well, he does have the tendency to make nice. You know, we know that Paul likes the nicer version, but he's not elevating himself. No. And he's not, He's not, I do not believe in any way that he misrepresents the relationship with John in terms of making it bigger than it was. I think. I agree. I think the unfortunate impact and outcome of the ballad of John and Yoko was that it diminished 
Paul and John and Paul's relationship. And this is why we flag it right now is because it snowballed during the breakup. And at the end of the day, it has really reduced Paul's position in John's life. And, and it's become a situation where it's, it's one-sided where it seems like only Paul loved John. And we're saying that we can see from really looking at John's music, his comments and his, his obsession with Paul in in the seventies, that John really, really loved Paul and that some of Paul's posturing and, and, and weirdo comments that even were like, Oh, Paul (laughs) these days, but we, we can see through it and see that he, he's trying to put himself back on the radar. He's trying to say that our relationship was really important, but he can't speak for John. So all he'll do is continue to reinforce his side of things. That's right. That's right. And just hope against hope that somebody will step up and tell the story right. Yeah, stay tuned, listeners. We have a lot of interesting topics coming up very soon, including (laughs) Paul and Linda, uh, the Demon King, Alan Klein, prickly Apple issues like the Liberty Bell and the the shares, and of course the songs of Abbey Road, which is which will be nice. We'll tie it all together and we'll show you how it's impacting our favorite songwriting partnership, John and and Paul. Thanks so much for listening. We love hearing from you. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr at Another Kind of Mind Pod and on Twitter and Instagram at ACOM Podcast. You can also email us at acompodcast at gmail.com. We're also excited to announce a new community. It's a Facebook group where you can join in the conversation with us and other listeners. Just click the link from our Facebook page to find it. Till next time.